Today we continue in the book of John. And as I tried to place myself in today's story, specifically locating myself in what is described as the day of preparation, I've been really racking my brain. I don't really see a regular practice of holding festivals or celebrations, particularly ones that are meant to be observed over a long period of time that sweep us up into an all-consuming preparation period. I couldn't really come up with anything beyond, you know, things like the normal Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter sort of meals. And then, of course, there's the obvious like weddings that we hold, right? But these all really revolve around one day. They're not really week-long observations um, of of these specific time periods of celebration. And in some ways, that's kind of a shame, right? I don't know about you, but there are particular things that I would really love to observe for more than just a day, like weeks would be good. And my birthday has made it to the top of that list as I've gotten older. But having some experience in Haiti, I've gotten swept up into days of preparations for festivities of all kinds. And let me make clear, folks are very, very serious about their preparations. I've witnessed preparations for wedding festivities uh, where multiple people were being married, multiple couples were being married on a given day. Um, And these celebrations were preceded by days of baptisms (laughs) beforehand. Um, I have been there during annual baptism celebrations that are kind of like a week long. And I have even attended a funeral that uh, was preceded by multiple wakes over the course of days. All of these included days and days of preparations, preparing food and drinks, the fabrication of like clothing. And I'm not just talking like tailoring. I'm, I'm talking about the sewing of matching outfits. Okay. <laughs> like some, some serious work, multiple trips to the market to secure goods, of course, and supplies, the rearranging of furniture, removing it even from households and moving it to other locations. Cleaning, of course, extending hospitality to overnight guests from out of town, new haircuts, new hairdos, bathing, which when everyone does at one time requires more water to be hauled in, (laughs) and decorations hung, temporary structures being built. And the list really goes on and on and on. It's a lot of preparation. But here's the thing I've learned. These preparations are all consuming for the entire community. Multiple trips to Haiti during high festival times have proven to be challenging. On several occasions, any plans that I thought I had for engaging in particular work in the community were nearly obliterated by the preparations that were underway for upcoming festivities. In a sense, nothing else takes precedent over the preparations. And over time, I realized that folks are not to be inconvenienced or at least not distracted during these preparation times. And because of these experiences, as I kept reading today's text, which is John chapter 19, verses 31 through 42, the phrase day of preparation stood out to me. I think there's something important about how that affects the entire community in this story. As Jesus hangs on the cross, and is buried. 
Let's turn our attention to the text, which comes, of course, just after this main section regarding the crucifixion. And I do want to encourage us all to go back, not this week, but the next week um, after we observe Palm Sunday to go back and read the crucifixion story leading up to Easter during Holy Week. You can turn to John chapter 19, verse 31. I'll be reading from the NRSV. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though in a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The day of preparation comes just before uh, this annual Sabbath, which is actually the Passover. It's not to be confused with the weekly Sabbath. Uh, Passover marks the beginning of the seven-day holiday, which is known as the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And just to jog our memories a bit, let me remind us that Passover is the spring festival associated with Israel's departure from Egypt and this passing over protection of the firstborn in Hebrew homes, the events that we read about in Exodus. It is celebrated at the full moon of the first month of the spring equinox. And on the seventh or on the 10th day, each family chooses a year old lamb. And then at twilight on the 14th day, they kill the unblemished animal and spread its blood on the lintel in the doorpost, just as in the Exodus story. The meat is roasted. Sorry for you who are vegetarians out there. This may not be going over so well, just realizing that. The meat is roasted and eaten on the same night with any remains burnt thereafter. The bones of the lamb are to remain unbroken. And along with the meat, the families eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs, all while dressed for a hasty departure in commemoration of the exodus from Egypt. All of these festivities brings about a lot of preparation. 
And while alignment of the gospel's passion narrative and actual Passover events can be debated, there are also clear ways in which the events of the Passover seem to correlate, at least thematically, to Jesus's death and resurrection. It would be easy for us to focus our attention on these points, but I want to turn our attention elsewhere as we consider this text. I want to suggest that in the midst of Jesus's death and burial, we learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus than anything, as this day of preparation seems to shape the narrative, really bookending our passage for today. And from experience, I can understand why it shapes the narrative, and so I actually want to start there. So at the front end of our text, verse 31, we read, since it is the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a great day of solemnity. So the Sabbath day is a day in which dignity is upheld. It was a serious day for people. And not only that, but as I mentioned last week, the, the Jews were, they're, they're comfortable and of course, not to be inconvenienced, particularly on the day of preparation at Passover, by having to then confront the lies that they had been living. And these bodies hanging on the cross, even outside Jerusalem city walls on the hill of Golgotha or the skull in this garden would have confronted their consciences. These bodies hanging on the cross and public display to warn anyone who would stand against the empire would actually be counter to the celebrations and freedoms associated with the Passover. And so to speed up the process, they asked Pilate to have the legs of the men broken so that they would die faster and could be removed. But when the soldiers went to break the legs of those who were being executed, they saw that Jesus was already dead. And so one of the Roman soldiers, possibly known as Longinus, pierced his side. And when he did so, water and blood came out and he recognized Jesus as fully human and fully divine. According to Matthew 27, 54, the Roman soldier immediately accepted Jesus as the son of God. That's the front end of our text. The back end of our text says, and so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Jesus is laid in this new tomb in the garden nearby the hill where the crucifixions took place. But if we back up kind of in the middle of the story, we meet Joseph of Arimathea. This is not a disciple that we know much about. In Matthew 27, verse 57, we read that he is a rich man, but also according to Mark chapter 15, verse 43, it says he was a respected member of the council who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. So as a member of the Sanhedrin or the council, Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Jewish authorities who buried those executed by the Sanhedrin. So he goes to Pilate, claiming prerogative then as a member of the council, and asks permission to take away Jesus's body. He is joined by Nicodemus, the one that we remember came to Jesus first at night. 
And Nicodemus has brought with him a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. And I just picture Nicodemus carrying the equivalent of like 25 pound bags of flour with him and spices. That's a lot. Maybe he had help. I don't know, but that's a lot. I want you to imagine for just a minute these disciples removing Jesus's body from the cross. Sit with that for a moment. Imagine what that was like. And then together they cover Jesus's body with spices. They're not embalming him in the way that we often think of embalming because that's not our way today of embalming is not the, the Jewish practice, but rather they rub his body with these spices. I can only imagine how strong the sweet smell of this expensive myrrh would be along with the aloe, which was um, symbolizing healing. In that quantity, that's, that's just a lot. I can't imagine the smell. And they wrap Jesus in linen cloths, according then to the Jewish burial customs. And they lay him in this nearby tomb. This burial is really fit for a king. It was an honorable burial that would have offended Jewish law, which apparently only allowed for a disgraceful burial for those who are executed. As we sit with this story, I think we have to ask ourselves, beyond the issues of the day of preparation shaping the narrative, what does the story reveal about disciples of Jesus? I find it rather intriguing that those who tend to Jesus's body are lesser known followers of Jesus. And this may seem strange to us, leaving us to wonder where Jesus's family and closest friends are. As I asked myself this question this week, I ran across um, some commentators who point out that literary sources, including John 11, agree that for the first seven days, the immediate family remained at home in mourning. If mourners left their houses during this time, it was presumed that they would be going to the tomb. And then remember, those executed are not likely allowed a proper or honorable burial, and the Sanhedrin actually would be burying them. So it's not surprising then that on the night of Jesus's execution, these lesser known followers, those who held faith and waited for the kingdom with expectancy, they come together to care for Jesus's body and to bury him. In the midst of fear of the religious authorities, including fear of those whom Joseph of Arimathea sat on council with, these disciples, they come into the light. They participate in the cycle of life, death, burial, and therefore eventually resurrection. Their participation in this story where physical locations of these events sit in such close proximity also remind us as fellow disciples of how close death and resurrection are to each other 
in proximity throughout our lives. Seeing this and participating in this narrative is to experience the kingdom of God being realized on earth as it is in heaven. But maybe what I love most about this story is that faithfully and attentively, these disciples protest against the Jewish law and provide an honorable burial for Jesus. While their fellow Jews were consumed with preserving the solemnity, the dignity of the Sabbath, the Passover itself, these disciples restored dignity to Christ enfleshed in the person of Jesus. I want to say that again. While the fellow Jews were consumed with preserving the dignity of the Sabbath at Passover, these disciples restored dignity of Christ enfleshed in the person of Jesus, who was seen as other. I want to leave us with this exhortation today. As we to engage in days of preparation, maybe during this season of Lent as we arrive at Easter, whatever that might look like for you this year, let us not be all consumed by focusing on festivities to come, but attentive to the work of God in our midst, reminding us that death and resurrection always sit in close proximity on good days and on the darkest of days. Maybe, just maybe this burial scene is about true discipleship, about coming out from behind our fear of the masses or those in positions of power and extending dignity to Christ enfleshed and those deemed as other. Following Jesus and taking seriously his good news about the kingdom being here and now. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, as we place ourselves in this story today, as we imagine Jesus's body on the cross and we imagine being present as these disciples remove his body. These disciples that we don't know so much about and yet they are the ones who show up and care for Jesus. these disciples restoring dignity in the midst of others being preoccupied god would you teach us to be open to your spirit calling us your constant invitation to extend and restore dignity for those who are deemed other around us in our everyday lives. 
May we be a people who see Christ in our neighbors. Christ in the face of those who are deemed other. God, we pray that you would have mercy, that you would bring about justice and that you would call us to action, to stand with our siblings around the world, but in our country who face so much persecution, who face crimes of hate, I think of 